Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bright Lights, uh, your weekly podcast that delves into the world of achievers and achievements, overcoming obstacles, developing the right attitude and perspective, responding and reacting to what happens to you in life, and with the message that I believe anyone can be whatever they want to be if we put our mind to it and work hard and willing to put in what's take what was what it takes to get there and uh, i'm not naive unfortunate things happen but and it's you know there's a one percent chance of no matter what you do that things might not just turn out like you want to but once again uh, there's something to be said for tenacity in life well uh i thought about uh the uh, serenity prayer this week for some reason. And I was intending to lead off my podcast with that. Uh, it goes, God, uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that summarizes uh, my approach to life and trying to help people and make a difference in this world. Uh, we're coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, our guest tonight is uh, Caleb Truax, and this is a wonderful young man, uh, former, and I hope I get this right, uh, IBF super middleweight champion, and he's still in there, uh, a contender nowadays, and he'll be champion again. And now that he's been a guest on my show, you know, I'm, I'm going to be one of his fans. The next time you fight, I'm going to try to make sure uh, I'm at his boxing match. But you know what? We are not what we do. Uh, we're going to introduce you to this young man as a person, uh, a father, a uh, community servant. Uh, and we'll just get to know him and uh, how he became champion in life. Okay. Okay. Uh, I know I'm going to let you know some things that happened during the week, and I guess I'll focus this week on the main thing. Uh, Valentine's Day uh, was my wife and my uh, 35th wedding anniversary. Uh, we celebrated with some uh, fraternity brothers. Uh, you guys probably know I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. So we got together with our wives, and we celebrated that uh uh, we all remember those that night 35 years ago at our fraternity sweetheart banquets when we got married. So that's those are fun memories. And uh, uh, it says something about a person. I kind of look at, uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson, the uh, psychologist who indicated that marriage is not a, a triumph of happiness. Marriage is a triumph of negotiation, commitment, and those type of things. And uh, I'm just, uh, in fact, as I look back over my life, that's probably my proudest accomplishments and uh, staying together and raising our children together. Uh, I don't think you can do, uh, a man can do any more than that. And I've been quite upfront about that. Uh, uh, marriage is what separates, I think, the men from the boys. And, you know, uh, that's just my feeling. Now, one last thing before we bring Caleb on is, is I guess, Black History Month. And by the way, uh, if you can uh, look up Morgan Freeman, was on 60 Minutes. I don't even know how long ago they got into a discussion of Black History Month uh, with the host Mike Wallace. 
And I just say my attitude towards Black History Month is similar to Morgan Freeman's. And you guys can look that up, uh, his interview on 60 Minute with uh, um, uh, Mike Wallace and, and, and see what I mean there. But this is his Black History Month. Uh, I'm going to talk about a black lady, which many people have never heard of. And it's really sad. Uh, she was in the same... Uh, atmosphere, shall we say, for lack of a better word right now, is Billie Holiday, Eleanor Fitzgerald, uh, Lena Horne, James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, you name it, uh, Frank Sinatra, Eleanor Roosevelt, Duke Ellington. She was in that same uh, uh, kind of atmosphere uh, during her lifetime. And I would guess probably 99.9% .9 of Americans have never heard of this lady. She was a piano uh, prodigy, graduated from Juilliard. Uh, she was self-taught in saxophone. Uh, she was part of an all-woman, uh, women uh, jazz band. She starred in Broadway musical. She opened for Count Basie uh, in the, in a New York ballroom. And, but here's the thing: she also she refused, and she had it written in a contract uh, to play for uh, segregated audiences. Uh, she was in movies. And she had it written into a movie contract that she wouldn't play anybody but herself. Uh, she would not play maids or hookers or anything. And she just really had a lot of pride in herself. Uh, she played at the first integrated nightclub. They say in America. I'm not sure about that. But in New York City, uh, she was internationally renowned, toast of jazz and popular music, made a lot of money, headliner at Carnegie Hall. And I could go on and on about this very lady. Oh, she was married to a very famous uh, uh, black congressman from New York. Uh, in fact, you know, if I ever, ever get a chance, I'm going to make a movie of this lady's life. And she was just so talented. And I, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, she had the first uh, black TV show uh, hosted by uh, on, on television. Uh, the Hazel Scott Show. So now I've told you her name. Her name is Hazel Scott. And I will ask your Black History homework for those of you who are interested. Go out and look up and research this lady. And if you go like, why? I have never heard of this lady. Uh, you, your reaction would be like mine. And let me just say this and we'll bring Kayla on. Look, the reason you haven't heard of, uh, of uh, Hazel Scott is because she was basically blacklisted. Or nowadays, they call it canceling. And that means that if they don't like your politics, they don't like what you're doing, they will ruin your life and they will ruin your career and just try to make history forget about you. And I'm saying that to say this, people. And I've been pretty much up front. Uh, I just believe in freedom of speech, uh, freedom of exchange of ideas. I don't believe in censoring ideas and people. I don't believe in punishing people by firing them if they say the wrong thing. Look, as long as people uh, are not breaking the law, they're just expressing their opinion. And I'm saying that applies to me, too. Whatever opinion they express by me, I don't I don't want to cancel nobody. I don't, you know, let people have that talk. That's what we as Americans are supposed to be about. And that's what separates us from a lot of other places. And I'm saying that to say this. Uh, you've heard the saying, what goes around comes around. The people like Hazel Scott, that they were blacklisted and running their lives, 
uh, back in the 50s when, uh, when Joseph McCarthy was doing all his communist searching and running people's lives. They were on what they would be considered what you call on the left uh, back in those days. And I'll end it with this. This is why I'm just so disappointed in all this cancel culture. Uh, they want to cancel Rogan and I mean, anybody who says anything that's unpopular. What have we become? And I want everyone, once again, another piece of homework. Look up the definition of a bigot. It's not always about gender and, and race. It's about people's opinions. And we have gotten to the point in this country, and it's sad, where someone can express an opinion and lose their job. And, and we need to, we're better than that, people. Let me just say that. We're better than that. And we need to cut it out. And once again, what goes around comes around. And we've already seen this with the situation with Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, she's one of those, I guess, on the left type of people. And I'm not I know whether she personally favors this, but she want to counsel people that she disagree with and have no one to ever hear of them. Let's stop it, people. But the main thing I don't want to take away from this, Hazel Scott, please go out and look up Hazel Scott. And I'm, I guarantee you, you're reaction will probably be like mine. Why haven't we heard of this person who was Oprah before that was Oprah? And can you imagine 30, 40 years from now, nobody ever hearing of Oprah and they've erased her from the history book? That's where we're headed as a country unless we come together and work together and get rid of this, get rid of this silly council culture. We don't like what you said and your politics is all wrong. So we're going to do our best to uh, make your life miserable. We need to get away from that, people. Okay, I've gotten that out of my system. Uh, another happy 35th wedding anniversary, Betty, my wife, and uh, looking forward to another 35 years. Okay, hey, uh, so now I want to bring on my guest, uh, Mr. Caleb Truax. Looking very much uh, forward to talking to you. Welcome to Bright Lights, Caleb. Hey, great to be here. Hey, well, I understand. Look like you are somewhere uh, working and sacrificing right now. Where are you coming to us from, uh, Caleb? I'm live from Likes Boxing, my boxing gym in uh, Spring Lake Park. You might hear a little background noise. Uh, there's a couple guys working out, so I apologize for the background noise. But that'll be uh, well, we love it. That's why we're doing it live. We know stuff like that's <laughs> happening. It's kind of like people who don't like to hear kids cry. It's, it's all part of it. It's music to <laughs> my ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's music to my ears. Okay, so let's get started here. Uh, you are renowned, famous for your, uh, I think the word is pugilistic accomplishments for your boxing. So let's, before we get into that, let's get a little background from you because you don't end up where you are uh, unless there were some things that you did earlier and everybody know one of my favorite uh, lines from a poem is the child is the father of the man. And so we're going to delve into it and see that what child you were to become the father of the person you are today. So tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and, and your family life growing up and anything that happened that would predict you to be an IBF super middleweight champion. Yeah, yeah, I, I had a real good childhood. I, uh, I grew up uh, with a twin sister and a younger brother uh, to a single mother. Uh, we got a lot of help from my grandparents and my uncle. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was younger as my mom was trying to find herself. And 
uh, while she was in school, she was now a lab technician, actually just recently retired uh, lab technician uh, for HCMC downtown and uh, moved around a lot until about fourth grade. And that's when we settled back in Osseo, Minnesota, where my grandparents uh, raised my mom and uh, eventually where we grew up in Osseo, Minnesota. So uh, I had a really good childhood. I, I, I relay, uh, rely on sports to, uh, as my release and uh, just to keep my butt out of trouble. And uh, <laughs> just uh, that's what kind of bred me as an athlete. I was, a, I was a football player and a baseball player in high school. Actually went to college to, to play football in Virginia, Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia. And after a knee injury, I, I came back home to the University of Minnesota just to focus on my education. And uh, that's when I picked up boxing. I picked up boxing when I was about 20 years old. So uh, kind of a, a, a different start than most people uh, at my level are at, but uh, we're here now. Well, let's uh, spend another minute or so on your childhood. Uh, do you remember the first time or did you ever say, I want to be this when I grow up? And what was it? Because uh, I know at that age, sometimes we don't know. Yeah. But did at a very early age, you had some type of idea what you wanted to be uh, when uh, you grew up? It, it definitely wasn't a boxer. <laughs> I, <tell you> <laughs> I, uh, I never thought I'd be a professional boxer. I, I was always a really big baseball fan. Uh, so I was uh, I was a baseball uh, player. I was going to make it to the pros and uh, be like Kirby Puckett growing up. And uh, that, that didn't work out, but uh, at least I got to, to play sports, uh, a different sport. So I'm here in football. I'm here in baseball. I know you were a boxer. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to guess, were you uh, running back, linebacker in football? What, what, what linebacker, position? Yeah. Linebacker. linebacker. All right. Yeah. Outside linebacker. Yeah, that oh, that translates well. My youngest son was a lineman, linebacker in high school, all city too. Well, that's great. And then when I look at you from a baseball standpoint, I think uh, you were an outfielder there, right? You got it, man. You got it. And uh, could you hit the curveball, Caleb? I could. I was a uh, I was a very good hitter. I wasn't the greatest outfielder, but uh, I could hit the ball. So that's what uh, uh, that's what I was known for. Okay, and uh, do you? Uh, Remember mentors and role models and uh, anyone special when you were growing up? Any special teacher or something that inspired you or, or had some words of wisdom that stuck with you as you uh, grew up? No. Being that I moved around a lot uh, when I was young, I, I didn't really have any – I didn't have enough time to build a, a bond with a specific teacher or anything like that or, or a specific mentor outside of uh, family members and friends. I know uh, my uncle Kim was a, a real big part of my life. He uh, still is a big part of my life. He uh, was basically my father figure. You know, I, I uh, didn't have a father in my life, and he he stepped up and and uh, filled that role. Uh, I, I took advice and and kind of mentorship from a lot of my friends' parents, uh, friends' fathers, uh, who, who gave me good advice along the way. Uh, and just uh, I'm 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 a sponge, man. I I soaked up uh, anything I could if if I thought that people were doing things the right way. I, I tried to emulate that and, and tried to uh, take advice from anyone that could give me any kind of advice. Well, here's the thing. I know, at least for me growing up as a, a teenage youth, uh, I could have went wrong in a lot of ways and uh, somehow I was able to make it through that. Uh, did you have any uh, particular uh serious situations or habits or things you had to correct uh, 
during your youth that you get in trouble or you basically just uh, did what you're supposed to do? Uh, you got any of those type of stories to share with us? Uh, you know, for the most part, I did what I was supposed to do. I, I uh, like I said before, sports is what kept my butt out of trouble. And uh, I knew and, and my mom made it clear that if I messed up, I wasn't going to be playing sports and and, and, and football were, were so important to me in high school and junior high that I wanted to play and I knew if I messed up, I, I wasn't going to be playing them. And that's kind of what kept me on the right path. And, you know, I had friends that, that uh, strayed down the wrong way and, and some stupid stuff, but uh, I was, thankfully I was able to, to be wise enough in my young years to, to stay away from all that stuff. Okay. So you graduate from Osseo senior high school, you go off to Virginia state, you play a little football, you injure yourself, you come back to university of Minnesota. I think you majored in, uh, I had your major here, uh, uh, sociology. What's your major? Yep, sociology with major with uh, African-American studies and political science minor. Right. And we're going to delve into that a little bit also, but somewhere uh, at the age of 20, you decided to, I'm a, I want to be a boxer. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, unless I've been in a lot of fights before, I might not want to become a boxer. But what what went into that decision? What motivates you to want to become a boxer, Caleb? You know what? I, I, uh, I was done playing football. I was done playing baseball um, competitively. And I was at the U of M just working out and trying to stay in shape. And... Uh, like I said, I, I've been an athlete my whole life, and I was honestly just so bored. I, I needed something to to fill the competitive void that was left from football and baseball. Uh, and my friend and I actually were were in my apartment at the University of Minnesota, and probably uh, having a couple beers, and and found a found an ad in the city pages for a tough guy tournament. And we both decided to do it and uh, trained a couple times and thought we were in great shape. And we both went out there and got our butt whooped. And he uh, he didn't he didn't go do it again. And, and I loved it, even though I got whooped. And, and uh, the rest is history. Well, here's the thing, Caleb. I've never been in a, in a fight anywhere close to what I see happen in the ring, but I've been in a few fights in my lifetime and I had uh tooth or two, <laughs> not crooked. That's not a fun feeling of fighting, but let's, uh, what was your first uh, uh, recollection or experience when you got into the ring? What was that like the first time you, you, you got into the ring for a real fight? I know you had been training and stuff. You thought you were ready. Uh, what was that experience like the like the first time uh, for you in your first professional fight? It was a, uh, it was a rush. That's for sure. I, I was nervous. I had butterflies and, and uh, you know, when I first did, uh, well, my first fight was uh, the, the tough guy tournament I, I had mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And that was three one minute rounds. And my first experience with that was I my, my coach still makes fun of me to this day because now I fight three 12 minute rounds or excuse me, 12 three minute rounds with you know world champions and some of the best guys in the world and and uh when i started out it was it was three one minute rounds and i was so dead tired afterwards i could i could barely get up i was laying on the floor in the bathroom and and my coach is laughing at me because i told him i was having an asthma attack and <laughs> and uh, uh now, I'm, now i'm fighting world championship fights but uh that was my first experience my first my first experience as a professional was uh it was kind of daunting as well because uh, it was on a very big show. You know, most most guys make their debuts on small little shows uh, locally. And I, I fought. Uh, it was uh, the fight was at the Target Center. 
there was like 6,000 people there. The main event was on Showtime. So it was a really big deal. And, and I remember walking out uh, to the to my music and, and, and trying to be ready and, and put the mean face on and walking out thinking, what did I get myself into, man? <laughs> I'm about to go out here and embarrass myself. But uh, thankfully, I held it together and went out there and, and got like, a, I think it was like a second round knockout in my, my pro debut. I love it. And was that because I know you did some uh, uh, Iron Mike production. Mike Tyson promoted some of your fights. Was that the fight that uh, Mike uh, Iron Mike no. production? Okay. Yeah, he, he promoted uh, he promoted one of my fights. It was uh, it was a co promotion with my promoter Tony Grigelko and Seconds Out promotion. And Iron Mike had his his company. It, it was only around for a few years, but uh, uh, he did a show here at the Target Center. I believe it was 2012. And it was a big deal. Uh, it was on ESPN Friday Night Fights. Uh, I was uh, I was the co-main event, and and then uh, a Cuban guy was the the main event. But uh, a really big show, and and you know, <laughs> Mike Tyson obviously is a, a boxing, if not just worldwide luminary, and he's one of the only people I've ever met in my life that I was starstruck. And you know, I, I I've been around some big names in boxing and, and just sport in general, and and uh, when I met Mike Tyson, it was uh, it was something different, man. He's uh, he's larger than life. And, and uh, it was it was a really cool experience. Now, uh, did did you follow boxing growing up? And if so, who was your favorite boxer? I did, I did. I I, I followed it, uh, not with the intention of ever uh, being a boxer. Like I said before, I just enjoyed the sport, and and uh, I remember watching you know, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis, and uh, I used just to go to my buddy's house and watch the pay per views. Uh, over at his place, and I was a big Lennox Lewis fan, and he was a big Evander Holyfield fan, so they fought, and we were uh, uh, always clashing when it came to that, but my favorite fighters growing up were Felix Trinidad. Uh, he's a Puerto Rican superstar, uh, fought in like the, the late 90s and early 2000s. Obviously, Muhammad Ali, uh, just with his humanitarian efforts and, and uh, just all the stuff that he brought to the table outside of boxing. Um, I loved Roberto Duran. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, Jack Johnson, Joe Lewis, all the all the oh, all the, oh, uh, yeah. the classics. <laughs> well, that's great. So, well, first of all, uh, I have a, a studio engineer here. I call him Studio Matt, and he, he found out somebody you had beaten, and he was very impressed by it. He said, "This guy must be uh, pretty tough." So, you go into the ring uh, and you win the IBF Super Middleweight championship yeah what, what does that feel like and what do you do after you the <laughs> night right after you win the super middleweight championship uh the things you can tell me so uh yeah. what was it like winning the <laughs> super uh middleweight championship that was that was the highlight of my career i mean every every fighter dreams of winning a world title and and uh, I've had the opportunity to, to fight for titles multiple times. Most most professional fighters never get even the chance to fight for a title. Uh, so I went over to London, England, and uh, I was a huge underdog, like a 40 to 1 underdog to, to fight James DeGale, who was the Olympic gold medalist and, and the, the world champion at the time, one of the best fighters in, in the world, uh, considered one of them in the world. And I went to his backyard beat him and uh, – it was upset of the year on ESPN and, and uh, USA Today and everything like that. And just a, a fantastic, fantastic achievement in my career. And uh, it was life changing. You know, I, I had uh, never really made a, a, a huge purse in boxing and 
did well for myself, but never world champion money. And, and that changed my life. I remember going to London. Uh, I just had my daughter. I just uh, bought a house in St. Michael. And to be honest, I was uh, almost broke. I, I had a, fight, a couple of fights fall through where I was counting on that money to to uh, to get me through. And and uh, thankfully, I was able to get the opportunity with DeGale. And, and when I when I won that fight, you know, the, the defense of my title against him in the second fight, the rematch, I, I think I made more money than I had in my whole career combined up to that point. And um, just uh, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic memory and fantastic achievement for me. And after okay, the fight, so, <laughs> after the yeah, fight, after the fight. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was in London. I, I was in London, and uh, usually when you usually when you fight out of town, they ship you out as soon as possible the next day. You know, you get your flight at six o'clock in the morning the next day. And I remember uh, it was me, my coach Tom Halstead, my uh, manager Ron Like, my cut man Jim Marine, and my my uh, promoter Tony Gradelka were out there. And prior to the fight, Tom and I had never been to London, so we decided to uh, extend our trip for three days. And everybody else went home right away, first thing in the morning. And Tom and I uh, got to stay in London for three extra days. And right before the fight, I remember thinking, "Man, if I if I lose this fight and I got to stay here for three extra days, this is gonna suck. <laughs> I better go and win this." Thing. And so we won it and had a great time. Got to got to try some great food and and uh, we watched we watched the Vikings game over in London. That was pretty cool and. Everybody was uh, buying us beers and uh, having a great time, so it was it was, uh, it was a good good memory for sure. Watching the Vikings game in London, this must have, what, yeah. was five or six o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. No, or? It, was, it was like six o'clock. Six o'clock at o'clock night. Yeah, that night. Yeah, that's what they six hours ahead of us. Yeah. Okay, so uh, have you ever come close? Or have you ever been knocked down uh, in a fight, Caleb? Yep, I've been I've been knocked down twice in uh, it was in the same fight. It was uh, 2016, I believe, uh, a loss to Anthony Durrell. That's the only two times I've ever been knocked down in my my 39 pro fights and about the same amateur fights and all, all my rounds of sparring. So I've only been knocked down twice in, in all the times I've stepped in the ring. Uh, so that normally means you got a strong chin. But give us for those of us who don't know what it's like to get knocked out of that unconscious i guess uh by the way were you able to get back up i'm assuming yeah. i did get up yeah he just knocked me off down so i wasn't ever knocked out but uh just okay. just uh, rattled a little bit <laughs> so and we're gonna get to some other things your daughter and some other things here but uh what do you recall your most uh testing moments in a fight and who was it against and give us share a little of that detail with us caleb if you can yeah that, that fight with uh Anthony Durrell, where I got knocked down and, and uh, stopped in the first round was the, the most trying time and trying fight of my career. It was right after my daughter was born and in childbirth, my girlfriend, Michelle, she, she had a stroke and, and almost passed away. Uh, she was in ICU for like 12 days and it was a, a sketchy situation. And, and I took that fight and I probably, actually, I shouldn't have taken that fight because I wasn't mentally with it and uh, had too much on my plate outside of the ring. And, and uh, that was the only time I ever been knocked down and, and got uh, stopped in the first round by him. And I'll, most people in the sport had written me off after that loss. That's why I was able to to get the fight with James DeGale in London, because they thought it was just kind of like a tune-up fight. They were right, like right, 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 right. Uh, 
I knew that I knew that I had a lot more to offer to the sport. I had a lot more to offer than just uh, that performance. So uh, it uh, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. But uh, that was the most trying time of my career, in and outside of the ring. Uh, the, the the toughest uh, fight that I've had. Um, he wasn't the best opponent that I fought, uh, but his name was Kerry Hope. He was from Wales, and I fought him. It was my first ten round fight, and uh, he was in just great shape and he just kept on coming and coming and coming and coming. And, and I think I won the first six rounds and he won the, the, the last four rounds. And I ended up winning the decision and winning a, a minor championship belt in that fight. But the, the next morning for actually about the next two weeks, I was so sore. I could barely even move. I remember going to uh, the fight was on a Saturday and I went to the Vikings game in a suite uh, the next day on Sunday and I fell asleep in the in the suite for the whole game. I was so tired. <laughs> wow, wow. Before we go any further, uh, how is your uh, girlfriend, Michelle, doing? She's doing well. She re she fully recovered. Uh, she, um, well, she, she, uh, she, she, she's fully recovered physically, and she gives me uh, some excuses once in a while. And she, if she wants to sleep in, she says, you can't, you can't uh, yell at me. I had a stroke. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, she's great. She, uh, Gia, our daughter, is, is six now. She's in kindergarten, and Michelle, uh, we had another son, Cam, so he's about two and a half right now. So everything's perfect at home, a beautiful uh, family, and everyone's healthy. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you enjoy fatherhood and the challenges there and the motivation it gives you, et cetera. Tell us about that. Uh, we'll talk about your uh, professional uh, requirements and schedule and discipline, but how is it being a father of uh, two beautiful kids and yeah. having Michelle going okay? Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. It's uh, it's it's what I want to define me. You know, obviously boxing is uh, is a huge part of my life, uh, one of the biggest parts of my life. But uh, when everyone asks me, what do you, how do you want to be remembered? And I just, I just want to be remembered as a good dad, man. Because uh, um, coming up, not ever meeting my father, not knowing a father, not having a dad in my life, I I realize how imperative that is to raising well-adjusted kids and, and I want to give them everything that I didn't have and, and, and more. So uh, it's just a, it's a, it's been a blessing and it's uh, really, really what I pride myself on. And I can tell that about you. You got a perspective on things. I, I just remember, and you're too, probably too young to remember Jackie Onassis Kennedy and those type of things. But I just yeah. always remember when I was a kid, she said something that I never forgot. She says, if you fail at parenting, nothing else really matters. And I never That's forgot true. that. And uh, just like you, I knew I was going to stay together with the mother of my children and help raise them. I think that's so important. I'm going to get on a soapbox here. But uh, I tell everybody, when a young man, a uh, quarterback from North High School, was killed last week. and uh, uh, I know. Yeah. And I've had some conversations about that. Where I'm going to, look, uh, fathers in these young men's lives, I think, are so important, especially uh, you had a support system, and we had more uh, support system back in those days. And uh, when something like that happens, and I'm getting impatient, too. That's when I'm a private person, actually, but I've been public for the past few years because I think we keep expecting shortcuts and solutions to these issues. There are no shortcuts to this, folks. We got to rebuild our family, and the father's got to be there. Uh, we got to make sure we are making money and education. We need to support ourselves in our community. 
Uh, and when I say that, we're owning companies, global companies, and creating wealth in our community, generational wealth. Uh, we have to rebuild our families, like we say, and I tell everybody, uh, we have to have some type of moral compass. Yeah. Uh, the moral compass that I got from going to church and things like that. And until we do that, and I hope I'm wrong, uh, this cycle of killing, uh, everybody feeling sad and wringing their head, the media print stories, community leaders going on giving interviews, uh, talking about another program, uh, rather than rebuilding the families, and it just keep happening over and over and over again. Yeah. And somewhere down the line, uh, we're going to have to try something new. And yeah. uh, so anyway, that, that's yeah, my... I, Michelle, uh, Michelle and I have had some some uh, really uh, really good conversations about that just recently um, and how we're going to parent our kids and, and what we want uh, our kids to... What, basically what we want their childhoods to look like and and... Um, you know, I, I kind of had a uh, aha moment when I had kids uh, and uh, just kind of realized some of the stuff like without without growing up without a father, I just never even thought of it or never even and never even occurred to me some of the stuff that I missed out on and some of the stuff that I was never taught. And, and uh, it's just everything is just so important when they're when especially my daughter is six and she, she hears everything, sees everything and. And one mistake is all it takes to to send them down the wrong path, and it could snowball and and uh, end up uh, end up bad, you know. Well, I, I I tell a lot of the young parents nowadays, either we're gonna raise our children, or the internet and, and websites are gonna raise them, and and rap music or whatever is gonna raise them. And uh, as you probably learned and you indicated. There's all kinds of bad influences out there for our children, and that's where the parents come into play. And I'll just say this. I had my dad in my life, and I tell everybody, I cannot imagine what how I would have turned out without that. So glad to see you doing what you're doing. Uh, Caleb, uh, we'll talk about this later when we get together, but I'm going yeah. to try to convince you to marry Michelle yeah. somewhere down the line. You, you gotta... <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. <laughs> and I look. I hope she's not listening to this. I don't yeah, want to get that trouble. You ain't the only one that's been been on. <laughs> but no, but get... uh, we've had we've had conversations about that recently as well. You know, and it's a it's a regret of mine. It's a big regret of mine. Uh, we've been together for for over eleven years, and you know we have two kids together, and uh, it's just uh, just recently I've kind of reflected upon it, and and. Uh, in your monologue, I, uh, it, it, that, uh, that hit home for me as well. Uh, you know, talking about your 35 year marriage to your wife and, and what separates the, the men from the boys. And I think you're right. I think you're exactly right because growing up, you know, I, I didn't have, uh, that, um, my mom was a single mom and, and never married. And, and I didn't have direction in terms of this is what you're supposed to do. This is what, uh, is beneficial to both you and your partner and more importantly, your kids. And, uh, you know, we've had conversations about that a lot recently. And, and uh, mainly I, I, I want to I want to marry Michelle. And I also but I want to uh, require I want my daughter to require that from from partners for her. You know, I don't I don't want her to be a, a baby mama. And and uh, and, uh, you know, what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, I understand exactly what you yeah. say. And by the way, when you decide to get married, I want an invitation to that wedding. Nah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, you 
you're married right now. What's your future plans as far as boxing? What's ahead uh, uh, for you uh, in the boxing arena? Uh, right now, I'm not certain. I, I'm I'm hoping to fight April, uh, either March or April, here at the Minneapolis Armory. The Premier Boxing is going to do a show here at the Armory, at the great venue here in Minneapolis. Um, and I most likely would be on that show uh, when they get it scheduled. I was supposed to fight January over in Germany, and uh, the the COVID restrictions and travel restrictions over there just uh, shut that down. So unfortunately, it didn't didn't happen. So uh, just waiting to see what's next right now. Okay. Well. And I, we'll stay a little bit on your relationship here, and I don't know whether Michelle, but let's let's face it. And you probably have this. Uh, you are an athlete. You are famous. You base well, well, well. You are known. I mean, you I mean, you're, you're world champion. But yeah, yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to say, you're traveling a lot. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, especially when you're young. There's a lot of temptation for athletes out of out there. Uh, how have you been able to uh, stay on point and stay focused yeah. and stay disciplined and not follow that path? I mean, and, and and I'm a big fan of Mike Tyson. I think people misjudge him all the time and they're too judgmental on him. But I know he has some side type of uh, issues there, even though he's a great guy and stuff like that. But basically, how uh, how did how did you uh, how did you and do you uh, avoid those uh, traps uh, that's yeah. out there? Uh, like I said before, uh, the one of the main reasons why I'm able to to shut everything down like that is is uh, I have a daughter and I and I wouldn't want anyone to treat her like that. So it's really easy to 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 uh, say no if I, if I if I think about my daughter. And also with with Michelle and I, you know, we we've been together for you know, like I said, about over 11 years, and, and we were together. She she got with me when uh, when I was living in my mom's basement and uh, <laughs> making a uh, making a thousand dollars a fight or something like that you know so uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't like she she jumped on the on the on the train after after it was already uh, headed to town or whatever but no we, we just have a strong relationship and strong foundation and and I just don't want to treat her like that because she's she's always had my back I don't want to I don't want to uh, to uh, disrespect her or. I would, like I said, I wouldn't want anyone to disrespect my daughter like that. So it's 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 not a not a challenge for me at all. Do you uh, hang out with the other professional boxers, and uh, do you uh, let your morals and principles and stuff uh, figure into your decision about who you hang out with in professional boxing? Yeah, I don't I don't really hang out with too many other guys. No, like famous guys. You know, a lot a lot of the the pro fighters that. That I know, you know, live in in Las Vegas or or, or California. Uh, I I hang out with the guys from my gym. That's about it. Uh, and uh, we all have uh, we're all similar guys. Have the same uh, moral compasses and same beliefs. So uh, it's not doesn't a lot of the stuff goes without having to be said. We just uh, we just do our thing and um, just uh, all good guys. Well. Ooh. off before I go on there. Sorry, <laughs> audience. Um, so uh, tell me about, uh, tell our audience, I guess. I know you're at the gym now. Give us an idea of uh, your, let's say, weekly routine as far as discipline and staying in shape and exercising the food you eat, etc. Give us an idea of a typical type of week for you as far as staying prepared and, I'll say this, being a world champion. Yeah. 
boxing is different than than other sports because there's not really an off season, you know, in in, uh, in football, like the Super Bowl's just done, and and now everybody gets some time to rest and and relax and enjoy it. Where as in boxing, your number might get called anytime, and and uh, there's no real off season. You know, I've I've been a pro for I think it's going on almost 15 years, and and uh, I think the longest I've ever taken off is probably about a month, and that's because of injuries. And uh, I'm always in, sh- always uh, in the gym, always training. And a typical week, let's say this week, for instance, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, I run in the morning, and I'll go to the boxing gym in the the afternoon, uh, do my sparring. Today I did some sparring with Nate Richardson, a good fighter that I've been sparring with for a long time. Uh, hit the heavy bag, hit the speed bag, work with my coaches. Uh, on Tuesday and Thursday. I'll do my strength training and uh, plyometrics and I'll swim to get some cardio in or, or uh, do whatever else I can do to get some cardio cardio in. So it's usually twice a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then once a day on, on Tuesday, Thursday. And that's that's when I don't have a fight scheduled. When I have a fight scheduled, everything gets ratcheted up a little bit and, and uh, have to sneak some more workouts in and up the intensity. So it's a, it's a demanding job and uh, uh, it's, it's, taxing especially at 38 years old you know my body ain't <laughs> i can't recover like i used to yeah. I, I, uh, I gotta i gotta gotta dial it back a little bit the last couple of years but uh i love it and and uh it's a sport where if you don't love what you do uh, it's not gonna work out for you and i promise as a a man been married for 35 years this is the last question i'm gonna ask that might get you in <laughs> trouble with michelle uh when the last time you and michelle been on a vacation caleb where you just yeah. laid back and kicked yeah. it and enjoyed yourself that that one's gonna get me in trouble <laughs> uh, uh it's been a long time I, I don't like i said i i don't really take too much time off I'll, I'll go on i've been on a few fishing vacations that's about it i love to fish i go up to the boundary waters or up to canada and 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 go fishing every usually once a year for for five six days but uh we haven't been on vacation together on a beach until since I think 20 is my a friend of mine's wedding, like 2012 or 2013. So, uh, yeah, that's going to get me in trouble. Well, Thank no, you. no, I'm, I'm going to help you out here, Caleb. You know, you know, when that subject come up, your response is going to be, baby, when we get after we get married, we're going to have the greatest honeymoon vacation ever. <laughs> and right. you just be a little patient with me. Um, <laughs> OK. Uh, also, uh, what are the type of challenges for those young men or women out there even uh, who are looking for a career in boxing? What would be some of the advice that you would uh, share with them as far as the type of obstacles and sacrifice and things that they would have to make uh, to uh, achieve such a goal? Yeah, it's uh, boxing is a, a very unforgiving sport. It's uh, it's hard work. And uh, you touched on it earlier, talking about something else. Uh, there's no shortcuts in boxing. And uh, one of my my mantras is, is cut no corners. And, and uh, anybody that follows me on social media will, will have seen me use that hashtag when I'm when I'm showing my workouts and, and uh, just talking about my days and uh, in the gym and everything like that, because truly there there is no no shortcuts. You can't cut any corners if you want to get to a level like I'm at or any level period, you just have to put the work in, you have to put the time in and um, just do things the right way. If you, if you try to cut corners, you're going to, you're going to end up uh, knocked out. You know, it's different than, 
in uh, a basketball game or, or a football game or a baseball game where if you if you mess up, you just lose the game. In boxing, if you mess up, you get knocked out and and uh, you could be seriously hurt. You know, so uh, it's just cut no corners. Uh, Kayla, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that uh, you're getting a little older there, 38, I think you said. Uh, so where I'm going to, when you look uh, to the future, your life after boxing, what do you see, Caleb? I would like to stay involved in the sport. I, I've been uh, doing a little uh, preparation for calling the fights. I'd love to be a commentator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just uh, I just called the fight in December uh, here locally, and I would I would love to stay involved in the sport through through calling the fights. Um, if not calling the fights, I, I would uh, I'm going to stay involved in the sport somehow. But um, right now, you know, I'm I'm just focused on my career in the ring. Um, hopefully, uh, in the next year or two, I'll get an opportunity to call a big fight on TV and uh, just show them what I'm made of. And, and uh, hopefully uh, when I'm done in the ring, I can uh, transition to sitting on outside of the ring and watching other people get hit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, when you are, uh, and you just mentioned uh, observing a fight yourself, I'm assuming you can normally see how it's going to go. And I'm assuming in boxing, I know just with me in some sports, it happened once. Uh, you can tell when, you know, this is going to be a tough f- fight for this guy. He, uh, he has no chance. Uh, and I say that I remember uh, watching the Ali uh, Foreman fight in Zaire. And uh, Rumble. I, it, yeah, but Rumble in the Jungle. And Joe mm-hmm. Frazier was one of the commentators. And I just remember a line from that fight, I think about the fourth round. And Joe Frazier said, I don't think George is going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you <laughs> have you ever been watching a fight? And I'm assuming it occurred often since you're a professional. Where you look at that, this guy is not going to maybe make it because even as a non-fighter, a lot of yeah. time I can see this guy. I, they need, there's no way is he going to beat this guy. Do you have that similar uh, experience while you are watching and commentating on fights? Yeah, just just from being around the sport as long as I have and and uh, uh, viewing the sport from the perspective of a, of a fan, you know, I was a boxing fan before I actually was a, uh, was a fighter. So, um, I've, I've always viewed the sport from that angle. Uh, don't miss hardly any fights on TV and, and, uh, love go, going to the fights locally as well. Actually, I'm going to a fight. Uh, I'm going to a fight on uh, Friday up in Hinkley. There's uh, some friends of mine are fighting up there that I'll be watching, but, uh, I'm I'm pretty good at calling the fights. I'm pretty good at uh, pretty good at uh, predicting it. Uh, unless unless I got like 20 bucks on it with my buddies, and I always seem to lose. But uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I, every time uh, there's a big fight on on TV, uh, prior to the fight, I'll always post a, a, a prediction video on my social media. And and recently, I've been uh, <laughs> I've been doing pretty well. So uh, like I said, unless I got 20 bucks on it with my buddies, and then, then I always lose. So uh, just a little bit on the local fight scene. I see a lot of local fights, and I've been following it. Uh, how would you describe the local fight scene here as far as quality of fighters and things like that? Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome right now. The, like I said before, the, the Minneapolis Armory uh, is one of the best venues in boxing right now. It's uh, just a beautiful venue. Uh, Premier Boxing, one of the major national promoters, has, has been hosting – I think four cards there per year. Uh, we have myself. We have Jamal James. Jamal James is a, a South Minneapolis kid. He's he's a, a great fighter, a great 
guy outside the ring as well. He he held the belt uh, up until recently, where he, he uh, took a second loss. But uh, uh, he's been a, a huge part of the Minnesota boxing revival. Um, Robert Brandt, who he he's from Oakdale, I believe, or, or St. Paul. Uh, he lives in Texas now, but he won a, a title as well, um, a WBA regular title, I believe, a, a few years ago. Uh, so he has been a great fighter. Um, there's a, a new kid that uh, lives here in Minneapolis. He's a Cuban. His name's David Na- David Morel. Uh, he trains uh, here in Minneapolis now. He he's a great fighter. He's up and comer. That uh, has a, a minor belt as well. But uh, it's a it's a good fight scene. It's uh, the 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 armory is uh, kind of running things. Grant Casino Hinckley has has been a big player for for years. Ever since I've been a professional, uh, they have the fights this Friday up at uh, Hinckley. So. Uh, just a, a really healthy fight scene and, and really knowledgeable fight fans and guys that uh, fight fight fans that really support our local guys and, and get out and, and buy tickets. So it's a, it's a healthy fight scene. Now, uh, boxing historically has been known as a sports where the, well, a lot of sports are, but especially boxing, where the athletes and boxers uh, were taken advantage of and, uh, it's known for promoters like Don King and Bob Aaron and some folks. And I don't know whether it's true or not, but uh, we do know that uh, a lot of the boxers, they get old. And I think this is the classical story is Joe Lewis. Uh, I think he was a bailman or something, one of the Las Vegas casinos or something like that. Do you see how that could happen? Is it still going on? And and I keep giving you these compound questions, by the way. I need to stop it. Uh, do you see that uh, still happening and, and going on uh, in today's boxing world? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, not not as prevalent as it used to be. Um, and you know, boxing boxing gets its uh, gets a, a bad rap and and some things for a reason because uh, it hasn't been the uh, the most uh, the cleanest sport in the in the in the past. And and like you said, guys like Don King. Don King is actually still around and. And he's known for uh, for being a little bit loose with uh, some of his fighters. And and um, uh, to answer your question, though, it, it's it's not as prevalent as it used to be, but it still is a problem with with athletes uh, not getting the the proper, I guess, uh, foundation that they need to to get money, uh, management courses, and things like that. You know, in the NFL and, and NBA and all the other uh, major sports associations, there's there's players associations, there's uh, um, rookie symposiums and, and things to, to teach. There's, there's systems in place to teach the, the players right from wrong and, and how they treat their money and don't get in trouble and do this and that. In boxing, there's none of that. You know, it's, it's kind of um, uh, go at it your own way and, and it's up to the managers and, and people like that to, to kind of steer their fighters the right way. And to be honest, a lot of a lot of the fighters, uh, a lot of boxers come from poverty and come from areas where they don't have access to the the best education or or money management classes, and and uh, it's a problem. But I think it's getting better. Okay, uh, how how does a boxer, or perhaps you, avoid a trap like that? Uh, you know, I I, um, I was fortunate enough to to. Uh, get my education and you know, graduated from college and, and learned about things like that from not only from, from school, but from friends and family and, 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 uh, other resources. Um, also I, like I said before, I, I didn't make very much money when I was, when I was young. So, uh, I still had to work a, a part-time job uh, up until about 
2013 or 2014 uh, when I got my first big title fight. So I was working part time just to pay the bills and boxing was kind of like a, a supplemental income. So, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was a professional athlete, but I wasn't a millionaire uh, NBA draftee or anything like that. You know, if, if I would have been given five million dollars when I was 21 years old, I probably would have been an idiot with it, too. Yeah, but, oh, uh, yeah. We all I had to I had to scrap and, and uh, work hard and, and uh, didn't really start making good money until I was into my 30s. So I think that made a uh, played a big role in, in how I how I handle my money as well. What was the first job uh, you ever worked, Caleb? And how old were you? Um, my first job, I was probably sixth grade. I, uh, so 12 years old, I was a paper boy for the for the Osseo Press. I did it for about probably about two months and I quit because it was too cold in the winter to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll sneak my story in here. But uh, I, my youngest son and one of his friends were uh, paper boys. And it was my job to take them down and get the papers and take them on the routes yeah. and things like that. It's a tough job, especially tough. here <laughs> in, in, in Minneapolis, where you go into some of these neighbors, just finding the houses to yeah. deliver the paper to. And uh, they had a rule if people didn't get their paper, you got deducted. No, no matter the yeah. reason. I mean, you know, a dog could have take the, taken the paper or something else, or someone else could have taken it. And my kids got uh, deducted on their pay for that. And when we get together, I'll tell you why I stopped it. But it became yeah. it was early in the morning, and I was concerned about the safety and everything else. Yeah. Uh, so I noticed, and we touched on it earlier. Uh, you did major in minor in political science, and that caught my attention because normally when people are involved in political science, they're thinking politics somewhere down the road. Uh, why uh, minor in political science, Caleb? Uh, you know, politics have always interested me. Uh, I don't. I don't think I'd ever want to. Oh well. For, for a while, I, I kind of wanted to make a foray into politics, but the, the, the state of politics right now wants, got me wanting nothing to do with it right now because uh, it's, it's wild out there right now. But uh, um, I'm just interested in, in, uh, in the history of politics, and, and uh, I was interested in to learn how things work. You know, I never really in, – in high school, I, I had a basic understanding of voting and, and the Constitution and, and things like that. But when I was in college, I just – I just found those type of courses interesting. So I just wanted to learn more about uh, uh, the government, learn more about uh, the Constitution and, and just kind of how politics, uh, what makes politics work in, in our country. So uh, when we first talked, and I repeat once again, it was such a great uh, spirit that came from you. Uh, I mentioned to you a lot of times when I'm talking and I've done a lot of work out here in the community with uh, our youth, especially our black youth and in prisons and everywhere else. And a lot of times when I'm talking here, I'm thinking about that audience. And I'm thinking about uh, all the bad news and issues and obstacles that they hear about every day, uh, all day. And they don't think about the future and goals and purposes in life. Uh, where I'm going with this, Caleb, uh, uh, let's talk about some of the sacrifices, and we talked about some of them already, but if you, with the, that audience in mind, uh, there are young men out there uh, who grew up like you without a father, 
but unlike you, uh, they may be without a mother also, and I met a lot of them. Uh, uh, they may be involved in uh, criminal activity, gang type of activities. They may not uh, see a future ahead of them uh, based upon what they are hearing. Uh, they are placing little value on their own life and either less lesser value on other people's lives. Uh, what type of positive message uh, you would have for those young people as far as what they can do with their lives, as far as creating hope, uh, and not, and this is me, uh, and putting the responsibility on them and not yeah. someone else and not the world and not what happened in the history, in their lives earlier and not what happened two or 300 years ago. You're here now. You can be anything you want to be. Let's go do it. What type of uh, advice uh, would you have for uh, those young men uh, who you can identify with? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I guess, my message would would just be that you're worth it. You know, you're you're worth the sacrifice. You're worth the investment in yourself uh, to to get the outcomes that you want in your future. And uh, like I said uh, previously, the 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 way I was able to um, kind of be not be a statistic is is by finding an outlet and that outlet was sports you know that's one thing that i love about boxing because uh it's a like i said before it's a it's a it's a a poor man's sport it's a, all you need is a pair of gloves and, and, a, and a ring and that's it and uh historically boxers have come from uh poverty and you know every time uh, uh that's the case you we there's always stories about it and feel good stories and and stuff like that. But, uh, that, that's, that's the case. And, and boxing saves lives. And, uh, if you can find an outlet that gets you off the streets or gives you a, a reason to set goals, gives you a purpose in life, whether it be boxing, whether it be uh, a different sport, whether it be uh, a career path that you might be interested in, uh, whether it be anything, anything that keeps, keeps you, uh, out of trouble, you just got to find an outlet that, um, that you can put your energy into and uh, keep progressing. Well, I see we're coming up on uh, an hour here, but I really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, I will be at uh, one of the boxing matches now because I've been hearing about them a lot and being tempted yeah. to go to some of them. But because I've met you and had a chance to talk with you, I will be going to a boxing match. And, and if you uh, ever have one here locally, you can guarantee if I'm in town, I will be there. So I thank you for everything that you share with our audience. Thank you for being the type of person you are. Uh, keep up the good work as far as being a great father. Because, you know, look, man, <laughs> we as men, uh, we need to put our children, our women, and our elderly before ourselves and that's just me and we need to get our satisfaction out of uh, our role as providers and supporters and protectors and uh, we've gotten to a point where we have uh, abandoned a lot of that and I think until we get back to that uh, a lot of this stuff that's going on in this 
these streets is crazy stuff we're not in. And um, I'm old enough, Caleb, and you probably do too. You probably listen to a few oldest but goodest. But when I talk to my young men, I tell them about the time where uh, when we were dealing with our ladies, it was sunshine on a cloudy day. And, <laughs> and now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now though, uh, what I hear out there, I don't know about, I don't more, know about uh, that. Don't play no more. On <laughs> it does. It, in fact, not only doesn't it play anymore, it's gone to the exact opposite end, man. Yeah. And you know, uh, and and look, I, I could be wrong, but uh, I don't think. Um, like I said, we need to start uh, respecting our women and raising our kids and marrying the mothers of our children. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not naive. Uh, I grew up, uh, I had older men mentoring me. Some of them was, how did I put this? Some of them was straight and narrow and Christian-like <laughs> and some of them wasn't, but I learned from all of them. And uh, I'm here uh, for people like you and your generation and, and to talk to you and hopefully uh, create some shoulders for you to stand on yeah. uh, because of the elderly black men that mentored me and taught me and gave me their shoulders to stand on. So I'm really proud of you, young man. Uh, you. Stress in education, appreciation of family, uh, your spiritualness, and I ask you to keep up the good work. And uh, when you decide, uh, thinking about what you want to do after boxing, besides announcing, get into business or something, let's talk a little bit. But, uh, Mr. Caleb, I really appreciate it. If you got any one last thing you want to say to our audience before you do, feel free to do it. Uh, well. Pleasure talking with you. I'm okay. glad I could share my story. Hopefully it, uh, hopefully it reaches uh, somebody that uh, could use it. Yeah. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, Caleb Truex, people, uh, uh, former uh, IBF uh, super middleweight champion, uh, still a great boxer. We're going to be hearing some great things about him. Uh, but most importantly, like he said, a great father. That's the number one uh, goal of all of us should be. And once we do that, we'll find a lot of this craziness out in these streets are going to stop. Okay, thank you, Caleb. Uh, have a great evening. Uh, thanks for taking our time, making time at your gym and doing your workout. Uh, we will be in touch, and we will go out when you when you're in between fights, and you can maybe have a beer. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah. go out and I'll treat you. Okay. Uh, thank All you. Right. Say, say hello. Say hello to Michelle. And uh, if you if you get into too much trouble by something I ask hey. you here, uh, you you can text me, and I'll I'll try to help. Clean I might need to I might need to come down to Minneapolis, spend night at your house uh, tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got a place for you. Stuff. <laughs> Tell everybody hi, and thank you for hi. being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thanks. Caleb Truex, uh, everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to have Zach Redmond, uh, owner of Redmond Gourmet Popcorn. Uh, he got some national attention uh, being on the late show with Dave Letterman that brought attention to his business. A uh, young man that's working very hard, so we have him lined up next week, uh, Zach Redmond. Uh, by the way, and I guess he was on Letterman and uh, somebody licensed uh, department or something here in Minneapolis saw him on that. And of course, you know, government people with rules and regulations are long story short. Uh, he had to move his business, but he moved it into the uh, 
uh, New Hope, excuse me, Cinema Grill. And so I'm going to go out there and buy some popcorn this week. And uh, next week we will have uh, Zach Redmond uh, on as guest. Uh, thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in. Uh, tune in again next week. This is your host, Lisa Johnson, saying good night and God bless you. Go out to the website, lasajohnson.com, subscribe, uh, click the bell for notification, donate to the podcast, uh, go out to the online store, buy some souvenirs, and if you buy something and you want me to personally sign it, uh, let me know, and we'll make that arrangement. Good night, everybody. Uh, be blessed, and I'll see you next week, God willing. Thanks. <laughs>